Hello and welcome to Access Asia. I'm Yuka Hwaye and here's what's coming up in this show. Japan faces an existential threat with its birth rate at an all-time low, yet the island nation has still to fully embrace immigration as a solution to the population decline. Two years since Myanmar's military seized power in a coup d'etat, a new report says Western companies are helping the regime make weapons, which they use against their own people. We'll speak to one of the report's authors. And anger in India as the government invoked emergency laws to ban a documentary about Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Japan is on the brink of failing to function as a society, a stark warning from Prime Minister Fumio Kishida, who said the country had no time to lose to reverse its population decline. The number of births last year is estimated to have dropped below 800,000 for the first time, while the number of people over 65 increased slightly. To address a growing labour shortage in the Asian nation, the government has slowly started relaxing its tough immigration policy to bring in more foreign workers. Jenny Shin and Monty Francis have the story. A morning briefing and then it's off to work for these Vietnamese recruits in Japan. The cleaning company they work for started hiring foreigners three years ago, mostly from Southeast Asia. In Vietnam, I used to supervise daily tasks and was in direct contact with customers. Here I'm just a trainee. I'm training every day. Japan has an aging and shrinking population, and hiring foreign labor is a cheaper alternative for many companies. Immigrant workers also take jobs that the Japanese generally no longer want. The Vietnamese are dynamic, and since they are young, they are fit and they learn quickly. This is their strong point. Once they arrive in Japan, foreign workers are offered intensive training and a month of courses to learn the Japanese language and customs. Foreigners make up less than 2% of the island nation, five times less than France. After the day's work, these trainees head back home about an hour's drive from Tokyo, where they all live together. The company covers 80% of the rent. One downside, though, is that family members are not allowed to come and stay in Japan. I miss my family. When we talk on the phone, we always tell each other that we will meet in Vietnam soon. Soon it will be three years that we haven't seen each other. I'm very sad. This woman sends money to her husband and son every month. 850 euros, three times more than what she earns in Vietnam. When their contracts end in five years, she and the others will have to leave the country. Japan is reluctantly opening up to economic immigration, but it still remains closed for many. Today, these demonstrators have come to support undocumented immigrants who are locked up in detention centers. Activists say 17 foreigners have died in the past 15 years as a result of ill treatment. Amin arrived from Tunisia in 2019 without the sponsor of a company or a residence permit and lived on the streets before being arrested. One year I was maybe like 
Some detainees are asylum seekers who arrived 10 or 15 years ago hoping for a visa or refugee status, something that Japan is generally averse to. We don't welcome refugees like other countries, even if we can. Officially, Japan pretends to be open to asylum seekers, but in reality, we close the door in their faces. Even as the nation has begun to open up to immigration, a wide gap remains between Japan and the West. Last year, it granted asylum to just 654 foreigners compared to 54,000 in France. It's been two years since Myanmar's military toppled a democratically elected government and seized power. Since then, around 3,000 people are reported to have been killed in the junta's bloody crackdown on dissent. Despite years of international sanctions, the military regime has been able to develop its own weapons, which are used exclusively against its own people. A recent report by the Special Advisory Council for Myanmar has mapped out arms production within the country and says companies in more than a dozen countries, including the United States, France and Japan, have been providing supplies. Yang He Lee is a former UN Special Rapporteur for Human Rights in Myanmar and one of the authors of this report. Yang He, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, first of all, how did you manage to track the supply chain in such detail? And does the report give a comprehensive picture about Myanmar's in-country weapons production, or is it more a tip of the iceberg? It's really the tip of the iceberg. It took over a year for us. Uh, we relied on open source information. We interviewed more than 30 um, uh, uh, persons who were involved with the military previously, and uh, we were able to obtain leaked documents from the Directorate uh, uh, of the uh, Defense uh, Industry. And we also got database, received database of the uh, subscription of export and import and other uh, specialists that we've talked to in the region and in Myanmar. So this is really controlled by the military. It's an industry that is thriving and uh, the military regime has total control over it. Absolutely. You know, it, every country uh, it, it is allowed to have a defence industry. In fact, uh, it does uh, contribute to the country's economy. But in the case of Myanmar, it's very different. It's totally controlled by the uh, Directorate of Defence uh, Industries under the military control. And they've had this uh, control has been there for decades. And it doesn't really help the uh, national economy. Uh, you know, we have to remember that Myanmar has never been invaded by a foreign country and it never exported any uh, military arms. And the only purpose of the production of uh, homegrown uh, uh, arms uh, light arms, light weapons and ammunitions, small arms, it is for the purpose of oppressing its own people. Now, as you've just mentioned, Myanmar is not at war with or threatened by any other country, yet its weapons production capacity has increased over the years. Why is this? Well, you know, there's been many um, international sanctions regimes that apply to Myanmar. Uh, there hasn't been a uh, universal arms embargo 
uh, that was handed down by the Security Council. However, different uh, countries, different states have established sanctions, uh, uh, bilateral sanctions against uh, Myanmar. But uh, nevertheless, uh, Myanmar wanted to uh, evade this. They, they're not buying uh, heavy artillery uh, in recent years because of these uh, sanctions, but they still do. Some of them do because through uh, front companies and through cronies, they're able to do this. But they're They've established this system of the Kapasa, uh, illegal factories, that, that secretive factories in uh, Myanmar, producing uh, small arms and light weapons and ammunition to evade these sanctions, the different sanctions regimes, and to make very sophisticated uh, machinery that is used to against its own people. So to be clear, companies, private companies that are mentioned in this report, they have not violated any sanctions. Well, um, the companies, uh, I'm sure uh, in the past years, they may have conducted business with uh, Myanmar, uh, but it's, it's a, the responsibility is on the companies to uh, really look into uh, their moral and legal responsibilities to ensure that their products are not facilitating human rights violations against civilians. And companies involved in the provision or supply of the essential products to the DDI may be found complicit in the atrocities committed by the military, Myanmar military. And why has it been so difficult, even after the latest coup, to adopt a binding UN Security Council and a sweeping uh, ban on weapons? That's a million-dollar question of the century. Uh, it's the, by the nature of, the, of how the UN security functions. And I think it's high time that the, the UN system really relook into how it functions especially within the Security Council with the uh, P5, the veto powers, because you really can't do anything with a veto uh, against a country. Yang Hili, thank you once again for joining us and thank you for your work. Thank you very much. Tension has escalated at certain universities in India after student groups tried to circumvent a ban on a BBC documentary about Prime Minister Narendra Modi. The government invoked emergency laws to block the two-part programme, which explores Mr Modi's role during anti-Muslim riots in Gujarat, which left more than 1,000 people dead back in 2002. Inka Oyatade reports. This may look like a casual daytime screening in the southwestern city of Kochi, but it's what Narendra Modi's government considers an act of rebellion. Students here are watching a BBC documentary centred on the Indian leader, despite a strict ban. The government has uh, something to hide from this particular incident. Otherwise, why they are afraid of uh, being uh, streaming across the country. Students at the Jamia Milia Islamia University were on their way to watch the documentary, but that didn't go to plan after the university's authorities barred screenings. The two-part BBC documentary, India, The Modi Question, looks at the most controversial episode of Modi's political career when he was the chief minister of Western Gujarat state in 2002. It explores his alleged role in a deadly riot that saw more than 1,000 people, most of them Muslims, killed. 
Prime Minister Modi has always denied any wrongdoing. His government brands the BBC documentary as propaganda, accusing the broadcaster of continuing a colonial mindset. Its claims activist Tushra Gandhi, great-grandson of revolutionary Mahatma Gandhi, rejects. Unfortunately, because of the label of BBC, it's very easy for these people and the Prime Minister to brand it as imperialism. It's not. It is the truth. And that is why they are rattled. YouTube and Twitter have complied with a request to remove links to the documentary, sparking criticism from opposition parties and rights groups who say it's an attack on press freedom. That's something the government denies. That's it for this edition of Access Asia. Thank you for watching and do stay tuned for more world news here on France 24.